This is from the True Dharma Eye collection of 300 koans. Shishuangs when all the doors are closed. The main case. Monk asks Shishuang, when all the doors are closed, what then? Shishuang said, how do you understand what happens inside? After six months, the monk finally understood and said, no one can teach me. Shishuang said, your words are roughly right, but it's only 80 or 90%. Yung Gai heard about it and asked Shishuang to comment. Shishuang said nothing. Yung Gai grabbed Shishuang and said, Master, if you don't speak, I will hit you. Shishuang said, all right. Yung Gai began making deep bows. Shishuang said, no one knows you. With these words, Yungai attained realization. Commentary. Examining the causes, understanding the effects, settling the beginning, completing to the end. Face to face, there is nothing hidden. Yet, fundamentally, there is nothing that can be explained. When all the doors are closed, Nothing can enter and nothing can exit. Wisdom is not a matter of covering our ears and eyes and retreating into a shell. We must emerge from the dark cave, penetrate the forest of brambles, and manifest ourselves naked, open, and free as an ordinary person. Breathing, is, breathing in is always followed by breathing out. The monk who questions Shishuang finally understands something, but it is still only 80%. Yungai wants to see all of it, so he presses the old master. Shishuang skillfully holds back until he is sure of the tapping from inside the shell. Yungai is able to reveal his face. Do you understand? The capping verse. Boundless wind and moon, the eye within eyes, inexhaustible heaven and earth, the light beyond light, the willow dark, the flower bright, 10,000 houses, knock at any door, there is one who will respond. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. So why is realization such a fundamental aspect of the Zen tradition? Why is it so important for us to awaken? Why is it so challenging? We begin the morning service with the Atadipa chant, which means you are the light. You are already a Buddha. And it ends with, we end the day with, each of us must strive to awaken. Do not squander your life. And if we don't understand this correctly, it can be quite confusing. If I'm already a Buddha, why don't I feel and act this way? 
If I'm already there, why do I need to strive? This is the question that arose in Dogen's mind and led him to travel from Japan to China to seek for the answer at the birthplace of Zen. And this is also a question we all need to examine, to raise and examine personally. Although Dogen traveled to a distant land, the answer to this question is never apart from each of us, wherever we happen to be. Or we might say that it is hidden in plain sight, but it remains useless until we experience it. The reason we can't see it, even when it's in plain sight, lies in the way we perceive reality, which also happens to be the reason it is so urgent that we awaken. We're trapped in our perceptions, which give us the illusion of knowing reality, yet keep us bubbled within a shell. Thich Nhat Hanh wrote, we practice meditation to train the mind in direct perception, in correct perception. When we meditate, we look deeply into our perceptions in order to find out their nature and to discover the elements that are correct and the elements that are incorrect. If you are not mindful, you will believe that your perceptions, which are based on prejudices that have developed from seeds of past experience in your store consciousness, are correct. When we have wrong perception and continue to maintain it, we hurt ourselves and others. In fact, people kill one another over their different perceptions of the same reality. And that we can say again, in fact, people kill one another over the different perceptions of the same reality. Very real, very true. The Yogacara school of Buddhism dove deeply into the exploration of the mind the gates of our perception and the way our senses of reality create an illusion. The Yogacara was an early Mahayana school studying the nature of consciousness. It is also known as the school of mind only or consciousness only. So according to the Yogacara school, our mind has eight aspects or we can say eight consciousnesses. The first five, the five aggregates, are based in the physical senses. They are the consciousnesses that arise when our eyes see form, our ears hear sound, our nose smells an odor, tongue tastes something, or our skin touches an object as tactile sensations. The sixth, the mind consciousness, arises in our mind, when our mind contacts an object of perception. The seventh, Manas is the part of consciousness that gives rise to and in support of mind consciousness. The eighth, the Alaya Vijnayana, the storehouse consciousness, is the ground or base of the other seven consciousnesses. Alaya means abode, Vijnayana means consciousness. It is called the storehouse consciousness since it contains and preserves all the seeds of our experiences. And Thich Nhat Hanh describes the storehouse consciousness as having three functions. The first is to store and preserve all the seeds of our experiences. 
the seeds buried in our soul consciousness represents everything we have ever done, experienced, or perceived. The seeds planted by these actions, experiences, and perceptions are the subjects of consciousness. The stall consciousness draws together all these seeds just as a magnet attracts particles of iron. The second aspect of stall consciousness is the seeds themselves. Stall consciousness is, at the same time, both the storehouse and the content it is stored. That is storing. The seeds are thus also the object of consciousness. So when we say consciousness, we are referring to both the subject and the object of consciousness at the same time. The third function of the storehouse consciousness is store for the attachment to a self. This is because of the subtle and complex relationship between manas the seventh consciousness, and Alaya Vijnana, the storehouse consciousness. Manas arises from store consciousness, turns around and takes hold of the portion of storehouse consciousness and regards this grasp part as a separate, discrete entity, a self. And this is very important to note. Again, mana arises from storehouse consciousness, turns around, takes hold of the portion of the stars consciousness where the seeds are stored and regards this grass part as a separate entity we call a self. So this is the origin of the error. This is much of our suffering results from this wrong perception on the part of manas, the seven consciousness. So according to this, we can say that our perception of reality is somewhat predetermined or stuck in a loop, as we know very well through our habitual patterns of behavior. It also perpetuates an erroneous sense of self, which is highly unreliable and will inevitably or inevitably causes harm. And this process is initiated when Reality enters through one of our senses or the gates of our perceptions. The eye, the ear, the nose, tongue, body, and mind. Buddhism considers mind also as a sense organ, although it's a more sophisticated governing sense organ that collects information received through the other sense organs and through a process of categorizing, associating, and concluding, it creates mental formations. And this stirs up the seeds that are stored in a storehouse consciousness and they get triggered based on the information and stimuli that enters through our senses. So we can look at these seeds as propensities or tendencies that remain dormant until the right conditions manifest. When a seed sprouts, so to speak, we may find ourselves reacting to the situation with an automatic or in compulsive ways. And all of that gives rise to a speech and action, and it maintains a distorted sense of reality and distorted sense of self. So what happens when all of those gates or the gates of our perceptions are closed and the automatic mechanism of our consciousnesses is not initiated by external stimuli?
What do we see when nothing comes through? And that is what this monk in this koan is asking Shishuang. When all the doors are closed, what then? And the footnote says, like a climbing a shell, he acts like no one is around him. And Shishuang said, how do you understand what happens inside? And the footnote says, the old master is concerned about the clam. So in our Zazen, we turn the attention from looking outwardly to an inward inquiry. And instead of looking at what the eye sees, we look at that by which the eye can see. That which is at the basis of our being. But how do we understand that? If we think that there is a divide between the inside and the outside, or that we need to reject and disregard the outside world, we're not practicing in accordance with reality or with accordance with the Buddha Dharma. To close the gates of our perception and turn our awareness inwardly is to turn our attention to that which was before us, as in the words of the Buddha to that which by nature does not divide. In terms of Dharma teaching, the inside does not have an outside as its opposite, in the same way that the no of Mu does not stand in opposition to a yes. And it does not negate anything. In fact, negations happen when things are stirred up in the mind. Before that, there is no negation, there are no divisions. And to close the gates of our perception does not imply that we have to reject our senses either. It only means that we have to know how to use them correctly. So for example, when the eye sees an object, it projects an image in the mind, and there is an immediate interpretation of what is being seen. And a large chunk of our attention is taken up by the interpretation and the subsequent thoughts and feelings it ignites in us. So looking back at Shishuang's question, how do we understand what happens inside? If we can rec recognize the automatic mechanism of our perceptions, we may be able to intercept it by pointing the attention directly to what we see, hear, smell, touch, and taste. And this is what we call direct seeing. And when you experience, when you experience that, it feels like, or you experience for the first time, it feels like you're seeing something for the first time, even if the mind has recollection of seeing it many times before. It feels like that when you taste something, even if you've had it, if you ate it many times before. The same with hearing something, touching something, encountering anything. Even if there is a recollection, a historical recollection of encountering that before, it falls away when we truly experience it directly. Our six senses are considered a gang of six thieves because they create a mental version of reality. But our senses by themselves do not have an inherent ability to do that or to trap us. 
It's in the way we use them. In fact, our senses can offer a direct portal into reality if we go directly to what we see or hear instead of the interpretations of it. Rinzai said, the six rays never cease to emit the great light. So Shishuang said, how do you understand what happens inside? And this monk, after six months, comes back, after six months, comes back and says, no one can teach me. And the footnote says, although it took a long time to get there, he's beginning to see something. And this is a very important point to, to look at, to examine. After six months, how often do we take six months to answer a question? What does it mean to actually take six months? I'll get back to you on that. I'm going to bow and withdraw now and I'll get back to you on that. And what did he do during those six months? How do we work on a question day and night? If you wish to be awakened, if you wish to be enlightened, do not waste your time by day or night. That's what that means. That's what perseverance means. There's a line from a different, from a commentary to a different koan that says, no one knows the sweating horses of the past. They only want to emphasize the achievement that crowns the age. We want enlightenment whatever we think that is. But are we actually working on it? Are we actually paying attention? Or is it more like a weekend warrior mentality? And Chi Shuang said, your words are roughly right, but it's only 80 or 90%. Of course, we have to ask, what is 100%? I want the 100%. I want to arrive. I want to get there. I want confirmation that I've arrived. And then what happens? Say someone tells you, you've arrived, you're there. What does that do? The footnote says, the old man squeezes his head. There is more to be seen. There's always more to be seen. So Yungai later on heard about it. Yungai was also uh, studying with Shishuang. And he asked Shishuang to comment. And the footnote says, When the teachings are in the air, sooner or later they will find their rightful vessel. And this is always true. The teachings are always in the air. But you can't hear it unless you hear it. Shishuang said nothing. And the footnote says, holding back, he primes the pump and delivers the teachings. So Yungai, in response, grabs Shishuang and says, Master, if you do not speak, I will hit you. Shishuang said, okay. And then Yungai began making a deep bow. 
the footnote says, all the doors are wide open at that moment. And then Shishirang responds by saying, no one knows you. And the footnote says, lightning flashes, thunder rolls through the valley. No one knows you. That's a simple and profoundly powerful statement that can provide the answers to the three questions I posed at the beginning of this talk. Why is realization such a fundamental aspect of the Zen tradition? Why is it so important for us to awaken? And why is it so challenging? No one knows you. Also provides a direct entry point to an awakened living. This statement has the power to awaken, but it won't be effective without the component of spiritual maturation that develops through sustaining the resolve over a long, long, long period of time. Which is why it worked in Jungain's case. As it said in the commentary, Shishuang skillfully holds back until he is sure of the tapping from the inside of the shell. Yunga is able to reveal his face. Do you understand? And he's waiting to be sure that, that Yunga is tapping from the inside. This is an analogy from, for a hen sitting on an egg, preventing it from cold or heat, extreme cold or heat, but, not, but just waiting for the right time. So when the chick pecks from the inside, the hen will peck from the outside and the shell will break. If the hen taps from the, inside, from the outside when the egg is not ready, it will spoil. It will not come to life. In fact, it will die. It is equally important to examine how we practice, to examine our resolve on a daily basis and to understand what it means. So with these words, no one knows you, Yungai attained realization. Yungai got it, right? And it says, this case is not completed, the footnote says, this case is not completed until you too have seen it. When you understand that the knowing of you arises out of an incorrect perception, then, only then, no one knows you is realized as correct and true. The commentary said, says, we must emerge from the dark cave, penetrate the forest of brambles, and manifest ourselves naked, open, and free as an ordinary person. Breathing in is always followed by breathing out. We don't go in to get away from out. We go in to go out. We go out to go in. Over and over and over again until we realize there is no gap. It's very common to find solace, to find some refuge in Zazen away from the chaos, 
away from everything that's going on, away from our fears maybe. But does it really work? Or is that what we're practicing? <clears throat> so how is your practice? Is your zazen creating a shell? Shishuang is speaking to each of us directly and he's saying, no one knows you. And the question is, when you hear that, no one knows you, how does it make you feel? Do you feel alienated? Or does it open up a path for you? Do you realize how light and flowing it makes you? Or maybe it doesn't make you feel this way. 10,000 houses, the last line from the verse, knock at any door. There is one who will respond at any door, any point, whether it's the doors of our perception or anything we experience. <clears throat> who says that's not an entry point? Nagarjuna said, wisdom is like a mass of fire. It cannot be entered from any side. And then he said, wisdom is like a clear pool of water. It can be entered from any side. And our senses are much like that, very much like that. It could be a block or it could be an entry point. It could create further suffering or freedom. So where are we at with that? I'd like to see where we're at with that so we know how to proceed, or I know how to proceed. So let's open it up. Let's move on to the Mondo portion of our morning service, our morning program. If you want to speak, please unmute and go for it. Anyone? I really appreciate it. Uh, this is Erica, by the way, for anyone I haven't met yet. Thank um, you. I really appreciated the seed analogy. There's also, you know, um, something that I've that I came to before Zazen that was really helpful, which is that that which you give your attention to grows. So whatever you keep watering is what's going to grow. And um, so, yeah, there are lots of little seeds all over the place for various things, but whatever you decide to keep nourishing and giving attention to and feeding is, is uh, precisely what's going to flourish. Very true. The issue, the one issue with that is when we don't decide the decision is already made. We can't just, we're not on the fence. If we're not taking hold, if we're not grabbing hold, moment by moment, something else is, something else is going on. Something else is grabbing hold of us. 
That's why it's so important to maintain moment by moment daily practice or to, to uh, stoke the resolve, stoke the fire. Yeah, as it was explained to me once, um, you know, not, not choosing a way, a path, a practice, uh, means that you're really just relaxing into the outside forces. So in, uh, in this society, that would mean the hyper-capitalist forces that navigate, that uh, sort of, you know, run our, our external lives. And if you, don't, if you don't actively choose something and do something and, and have a way, then you're unconsciously choosing that as your way and you're letting this other thing decide. Yeah, when you feed wisdom, you starve ignorance. And when you, when you feed ignorance, you starve wisdom. There's no in-between. And what happens when we don't choose, we go along with the conditioning. The issue is that we, everybody, we all trust something. But if we don't trust Dharma teachings or wisdom practice, we trust our conditioning. And our conditionings are very, conditioning is very powerful, has a very powerful force. And we, we all know what that means. This is nothing to do with Zen. We just know what that means from our experiences. Thank you. So when you unmute and speak, please say your name. Because I don't know you. Sometimes I, I also use in class. Um, it has to do with uh, uh, um, uh, grandfather and uh, a, um, a grandchild, and um, they're having a conversation. And the grandfather tells the grandson, he says, "Inside of us live two wolves. These two wolves are constantly in conflict." They are constantly fighting. And he goes, one wolf happens to be love, compassion, understanding. And the other one is anger, fear, jealousy, guilt. And he says, um, the grandson asks the grandfather, well, grandfather, which one wins? They're constantly fighting, which one wins the battle? And the grandfather answers, the one you feed. So, yeah, that's kind of what came up for me. The one that you feed, and we have this emotions and this turmoil and these things going on constantly inside of us. And so which one is the one that we are going to feed, like the, like the seed? Which one we take care of is the one that's going to flourish and grow, but the, the same things. The one that you feed is the one that's going to triumph over the other one. So, yeah, that's what came up for me. Thank you. And we end up loving both wolves. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> we need to love both of them, but we, we want to nourish the one that's going to help us, you know, understand and grow a little bit, especially in times like this. Yeah.
We go right into the forest of brambles, right? That's the forest of brambles. We don't get away from it. Yeah. Which is the good news. Okay. I, what came up for me during, I know, what came up for me during um, the Tay show and, and hearing Mejo um, and Erica is um, the realization that you're never not contributing to what um, to the effect you have on the world and your own life and the people around you. There's never a moment when you go, oh, well, there's nothing that's going to happen. Or there's nothing that's going to, um, I'm not going to have an effect doing this, you know, scratching my nose or, or you know, adjusting myself or doing something like um, distracting myself and going with other tendencies. There's never a moment when you aren't contributing to your own and well-being and to the well-being of everybody around you and actually the whole world. They're always every every little thing, you know. Everything, every little thing you do. So that's what came up for me. Yeah, that's uh, actually that's realizing the great responsibility of being a practitioner. It's not just when we are formally practicing anything. It's really practicing everything and moment by moment responsibility. Thank you. Yeah. This is, I'm Jeremy. Um, one thing that came up to me, the, the idea of that shell um, really resonated with me, the inside and the out. And I find myself recently um, really kind of focusing on one or the other. This, uh, like, I've been kind of uh, grasping for what else can I read? What else can I um, search out? What other teachers, what other things can I listen to um, Dharma related to find the perfect thing? But I don't focus as much time on the in. Um, and when you were talking about the idea of the breath and that sense that you have to take it in and you have to let it out. Um, and then the notion in the, um, in the comment about no one knows you, it reminded me of like, I don't know myself either. And so some of the time I need to balance a little bit more on both. So. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. So no one knows you as you uh, ended with. This is, a, this is what I want to hear. I want to hear where you're at with that. And how do you, fi how do you find out? The so if, is it a question or is it a, is it a statement? How do we see that? Where do we search for the answer if it is a question? And if it's not a question, if it's just a statement for us, what does that mean? No one knows you. This is Margo. Yeah, Margo. Good morning. Good morning. Um, first of all, I just want to express my, my gratitude for being, um, be able, being able to be here and be a part of um, Nisendo. It's really special. Thank you. 
I, I'm finding in this, um, oh, one thing that was prompted by no one knows you is it was time to speak. <laughs> um, it's easy for me in this time to isolate even more than isolation is being um, imposed upon us, so to speak. And um, even when there's been opportunities to engage with people, I've, I found myself not wanting to, wanting to go inward even more. Mm -hmm. So I really love the inward outward when I, when I don't, you know, the other day I had an opportunity to be on a call with some people I hadn't connected with in a long time. And my whole head said, oh, what do I want to talk to them for? I haven't talked to them for ages. They don't really care about me. I don't really care about them. That was old history, blah, 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 blah. And I got on the call. Um, sometimes we take actions even when our brain tells us not to. And, and I was so... Filled by being connected, and I'm finding the visuals of, of seeing. You know, we've been having calls with our family, and just seeing the faces. So I'm reminded how important it is to go in and come out. Um, yeah. Such that we can know ourselves and others can know us. So thank you. Thank you. So we can know ourselves. And you know, when we when we ask this question, you know, who are you, right? We right away go to what is felt and seen and what is already going on. Right? That we go to the details of me. And then what do we find? We find more of the same. We find that cyclic sense of being that uh, actually resides in a shell. That's why it feels the same. That's why we always come, go back to the same sense of being trapped, being cocooned, or being alienated. No one knows you. Well, how great is that? How wonderful is that? Because you break out of the shell. And that's fine. The question is, are we okay with that? Or do we want to know? And what does it mean to know who I am? Right? That's the question. What does that mean for us? Thank you, Margo, and thank you for being a part of the Sangha. <laughs> Ari, waved the hand, uh, Ari raised the hand first, so Ari. Thank you, everybody. Um, Margo, feel your tender heart. I don't know who shared, I didn't get the video um, about the effect that uh, we have, uh, our practice has, uh, but that really buoyed me today. I noticed that my uh, my mind and energy was very uh, agitated. Um, I couldn't hear at first the audio, and so I was just, I knew you all were chanting, um, so I was just connecting, but and I, I realized, you know, I um, I don't want my agitation to disturb, you know, your practice. 
and and that really uh, helped me just uh, have a very um, clear presence with my breath. Just stay there as an act of love, and so um, and so this brings me to the next part. You know. Um, Several years ago, Rushi asked me uh, what my original face looked like and, and said, Did the answer? And so uh, it was three years <laughs> before um, I arrived at a place where uh, I felt like I could bring the, that I was living the answer, you know, and I had, I spent a year in. Quite a bit of isolation, um, but with that question on my heart, and, and I, you know, I went to the mountains and I asked the mountains what my original face looked like, and I stood in the stream and I put my hand in the water and I asked the water, and there was a, a moment of just complete letting go. Um, of the question, of the answer, and I, I don't know how to describe it other than just a beautiful symphony of everything said, here, now, this, us, and um, that was fun. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to speak to that part. Then the, this other part was um, regarding the senses. Um, I heard, you know, I heard that our, our senses can, can be used to perceive reality. And, um, you know, mine still don't. So I've had these beautiful moments of, of realization, but, you know, I don't stay there. And, um, my senses definitely um, are distorted. Um, and my practice the last few days has been, I let uh, one of my dogs in when I'm, I'm sitting because he does this obsessive licking. And it literally, the, just the sound is so triggering for me. And um, it, it, you know, creates this flash fire. And, um, and he was in here today with our practice. And uh, so I just sat with the distortion, um, and then it dissolved. But I, I am very interested to know how to use my senses to, as allies. Thank you all for being here and practicing so much. Thank you, Ari. How do you use the senses? You know, you said you went to ask the mountains, who am I? <clears throat> when no one knows you, there is nothing that's not you. When someone knows you, someone doesn't. But no one knows you well. Nothing knows you very well. Right? And how to use the senses when you look and you stay with what is... You know, when, when you look at something, you just look at an object and you keep staring at it, 
there is a point that it loses the connotation or we or the connotation starts to fade away it's like saying a word over and over and over again it loses its meaning and then there's just the sound right so we have to work on loosening the grip of the connotations and then staying with what is being seen or what is being heard stay 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 and then something opens up the wall starts to fall apart or the gap starts to fall away and it has to do with staying staying and staying go ahead so sometimes when you're speaking, uh, it, this happened this morning, I didn't understand your words, but I understood your love, your care for us all. Thank you. You did not understand the words because of the sound or because of the language, my, <laughs> my accent. Okay, thank you. Ensho, good morning. Good morning. Um, you, you asked the question uh, about when no one knows you and, and where does that take you? How does it make you feel? Or, where do, you know, just where does that go? And, and the first thing... I thought when, when no one knows you is um, impermanence. And the reason why I thought of impermanence is because to me, impermanence is the opportunity for anything. And once you have the opportunity for anything, there is no gap. And it brought, uh, as I'm still, as you can tell, I'm still feeling it. It brought a, um, a great sense of expansion and joy. Mm -hmm. And when during these difficult times when I'm fighting the contraction, it was a, a wonderful way to trigger the expansion. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it releases something. If we if we're ready to hear it, we hear it. Otherwise, we may actually want to reject that. What do you mean nobody knows me? Right? That may be the first thought that comes to our, to our minds. But if we are ready to hear it, if there is enough, uh, if there's some level of spiritual maturation for us to be able to hear it, we hear it. And it can open up something. Thank you. Okay, who's next? L. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Elle. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about what I wanted to say. Um, I, when, I think first, I just wanted to appreciate the um, tears and emotion that people are letting well up from themselves here i know for me i i'm still i'm observing how i react to tears other people's tears and um at other moments my own tearfulness um and 
it's uh, definitely a, a complex reaction. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I, I feel touched. I feel a little uncomfortable, things like that. And I appreciate the space where I can honestly look at those feelings and um, share them with you. So thank you for the vulnerability and honesty that people have shared already. Kind of within that context, a thought that's been coming to me um, as we've talked together is the idea that um, I was reading, uh, I've been reading Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and they uh, talk about, Suzuki talks about um, that the, the best way to control something is to let it run free in a field and observe it. Yeah. Um, and as we're talking about knowing yourself, um, I think uh, when I think about how I've thought about myself this week, I've had a week during this week, my daily practice has been shifting. Um, it hasn't had a given time or a moment where I can, uh, some weeks I'm always sitting at a certain time and this week I'm not. And there's a lot of uh, uncertainty or feelings, kind of meta thinking that gets kicked up around that. Uh, when am I going to sit? Who am I in this practice? Stuff like that. Um, there is something about uh, having a flexibility to recognize that there are parts of there are there are things that I don't know, um, and to not feel too much to not exert too much pressure towards localizing uh, myself in uh, a practice, not binding myself to something so that I can feel more known. Um, or not being too resistant to uncertainty. Um, um, and I think it's also related to that a phrase that struck me was that wisdom is like a, a ring of fire and it's also a clear pond. Um, and that contradiction helps me to open up my thinking a little bit more um, to not feel too effortful about trying to attain like wisdom or enlightenment. Um, there's another line in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, where they talk about how in order to do the practice, you do need to exert a certain amount of effort, but it's a careful balance between not having the effort become become a dust storm in of itself. You need to practice good effort, but um, perhaps not become too attached to it. So for me, something that's coming up in our conversation is having an honest relationship with the significance of our efforts and what we do, but without attaching too much to it and having it become a source of pressure for me about uh, and not becoming too attached to it. I'm a kind of person that exerts this kind of effort at this time, at this place. Um, but allowing more flexibility uh, within that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm the kind of person on and on and on, right? 
that is I know me but if no one knows me I am not that either if I don't know me so no one no one knows me including me it's not that I know me and nobody else understands me because that's one of the ways we may interpret that right no one knows me including me which means all that's left is just freedom I know me is an obstacle I don't know is freedom so you mentioned to be okay to be comfortable with uncertainties so to be okay with that yeah that's what that means it doesn't mean wishy-washiness but that's again one of the common interpretations but thank you. Thank you for that. Can I say something? Um, of course. Is that, I'm listening to everyone. Um, uh, I, I've heard this uh, twice this week um, from two different people wanting to move out of, one of them wanted to move out of New Jersey and start anew. And um, so my sister argued with this person. She's telling me the story. She's like arguing with this person about wanting to leave and starting anew. And then a few days later, she comes up and she says, I just want to move somewhere else where nobody knows me <laughs> and start new. And I'm like, it, it, I can't grasp it. It doesn't make sense to me why you want to go somewhere I was like what I'm thinking like what are you trying to run away from that you do not want people to know you I mean most people want to be known and want to feel comfortable that people know who they are and everything else so and then and then I turned around and I, I used a similar line with my boyfriend and it goes well you should already we've been going out for five years you should know me already you should know who I am and I am like, oh, now it just hit me. So how can he know who I am if I don't even know who I am? Yeah, what is that knowing? What is it, what is it what based is, on? What am I expecting him, from him to know about me? And um, yeah, that kind of just came up. So I think I'm going to have to sit with that. Well, think of how we limit each other, how we limit ourselves by that, that kind of knowing and how we limit each other. I know you. That's it. It's done. It's done, right? So it's a conclusion. In, in a way, it's a dead end. There's nowhere for you to go. There's nowhere for me to go because I am fixed on knowing you and you are in my mind fixed as such. And also such. you and you also see yourself as such because I just said that, right? So to bring I don't know you into that, no one knows you into that, is to bring an opening. Um, yeah, because if I've already made an assumption of who that person is, that means that I'm not giving that person an opportunity to grow and to be something or someone else. Right. There's no, no, no change for them, no, no expansion for them. There's no expansion for me either. Right, and it, go, yeah, and it goes against reality. Reality does not, reality does not function this way. Reality moves. We don't. Reality doesn't know you. How can you know yourself? 
Let me just give John. Uh, John, you wanted to say something? You wanted to speak? Yes. You're going to have to unmute. Um, first, I want to just say how grateful I am to have found this wonderful Sangha. And I have such appreciation for everything that everyone has shared. But the curious thing is, I just feel like I just landed here. I just don't even know how I landed here. <laughs> it's the oddest thing. We're, we're glad you landed here. <laughs> You, you sent an email. <laughs> That's how. <laughs> the other thing is, um, what keep coming back to me is the idea of this closed door. And I too am reading Beginner's Mind, Zen Mind, and he talks about a swinging door. And I know for me, um, I face a closed door when I find, I, I could be very opinionated, unfortunately. So when I find myself cherishing some idea of a thought that I have, that's the closed door. And the swinging door is, you know, in and out and in exchange. And um, there's such a big difference between an intellectual understanding of something and having it work through me. So I really am thirsty for more of the working through and not being so attached to my ridiculous ideas <laughs> that are often based on just conditioning. Right, but we have, to, we have to bring understanding to that rather than rejection. Ridiculous is, a sta is, a, is just a label, right? But we have, to, we have to expand and include that, understand that this is how it works, right? That's why it's important to see the mechanism, right? So we understand that these are the seeds that were planted, right, over time. How, when, it's secondary. But this is where the conditioning happens, and we have to meet it with an open heart, rather than with labels. Right. Yeah, and, and yeah, just don't reject it. You know, when I um, when I'm when I what I'm talking about right now, when I when I see some of the things that Trump says, it's like I, I can't have this open heart. I just am so attached to hating him. Yeah. And there's a closed door. I mean, I, I can't. That's one example. So perhaps I have to grow in that way and look at it in a different way. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's, hard. it's a challenge. It's a challenge for many. There's no, there's no doubt it's a challenge. Right? So there is that. So here's what's happening. And now here's our react to what's happening. So maybe primary is to examine how I react to what's happening rather than keep my attention on that, right? So I can examine what's going on here and maybe I can discover some uh, repetitive patterns which, yes. which gives me an opportunity to work on yes. it and yes. to free myself from that. That's right, right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You want to say something? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Oh, sorry, Ari. Go ahead. What, one of you. Go ahead. I did too, it's okay. Um, all right, so um, just hearing more about this, you know, I, I think people like to hide behind others' perceptions of them. And I grew up this way. I grew up with um, everybody in my family hiding something. Very secretive, very... Let's put up a front and smile. And, um, you know, my own father actually was, was a closeted um, gay man. 
and um, he had to hide who he was all his life and he, how, how lonely it is to feel like nobody knows you but when you drop the need for people to know um, how you become everything and then you're truly known I just feel that um, if, if he had felt that or if everybody could feel that then they wouldn't need to hide anymore. And just that hiding is, you know, so much shame that we don't need to have. I just wanted to bring that up because that's what came up. Yeah, that has to do with the known. That has to do with what we hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. That segues perfectly into the piece that I wanted to ask. So, I don't remember who it was that said um, her sister was sharing a story about someone that wanted to pull uh, a geographical. Um, so when, when Roshi gave me that koan, on the one hand, um, I, you know, cheerfully set about to live the answer. And, uh, and then there was another piece uh, that he added, it, and he said, this path uh, takes a lot of bravery and, and courage. And uh, that sort of stung, uh, and I carried the sting. And so to, to um, answer whoever it was who had that conversation with the sister, for me, um, you know, I, I was, I got to meet um, the place where I uh, I was not courageous, um, and or you know I held myself back out of clinging to this perception that I that if you really did get to know me, whatever that me was, this you know this unflattering, damaged um, you know uh, being. Um, that I would be, you know, rejected or, or ostracized, and and be, and I kept that as sort of, you know, um, at first it was a transparent belief. I I didn't I wasn't even conscious of, of the belief, and it it you know, constellated uh, uh, my reality. It formed my reality, so I created that over and over, uh, and then it got quite gradually avoiding that, which just buried it deeper, um, and so. You know, on the one hand, um, you know, that, that, that koan was just so beautiful and um, my journey to living it was beautiful and it also uh, um, allowed me to, um, you know, first I was like, wow, I, I'm a coward. You know, I'm not willing to be vulnerable. Uh, I'm, I'm scared. Uh, and, and then, but ultimately, um, I, it led me to facing it. You, you know, or not even facing it, really, it's like, um, you know, holding that question on my heart that my original face grew and there was just no more room for anything else. And, and so in that sense, it was effortless. But anyway, so the, the answer maybe to answer uh, your question is, you know, uh, just dastardly devastating, you know, self-belief can mm -hmm. cause a person to want to do that. Yeah. 
Thank you, Ari. So the question is, how do we meet our habitual patterns? How do we understand, knock at any door, there will, there is one who will respond. Knock at any door, right? If we want to break out of the shell, we are breaking out of the shell, right? So how do we do that? How do we, how do you work with, we have a few more minutes, how do you work with the habitual patterns? Do you perpetuate them or do you just let them be? Hi. Um, I've been thinking as people have been talking about how in the metaphor of the storehouse mind, uh, you talked about how it is, there's kind of, uh, there's a balance between not wanting to have the seeds in the storehouse mind grow un, uh, unruly, I suppose, or uncontrollably, mm -hmm. but still behold, um, the seeds and the content of the storehouse we still hold with respect or acknowledge that it is part of who we are. Um, so I find for myself, I'm trying to walk the balance between not feeding a flame, but still allowing the seeds to naturally mature and follow their course. Um, and walking that balance without there being that many rules, I think, is my practice right now, is just trying to keep the balance on the being. Yeah. Thank you. So to allow for the process, um, it's very easy to find reasons to not practice. It's very easy to find reasons to, to quit the practice or change to another practice. There are always reasons. But that which we are practicing goes with us to wherever we go, even places that nobody knows us. It doesn't really matter. We take everything with us. We perpetuate it. A practice is a tool. A practice is a mirror. And it shows us. That's all it does. It shows us. What we do with that is on us. That's why the, to, to cultivate the perseverance, maintain perseverance, uh, tenacity to stick with it day in day out that's why it's so so important in our practice so thank you a couple more minutes anybody else wants to say the last word yes anybody has one second eric anybody that did not speak yet okay great erica Well, I guess I, remember, I spoke about the seeds and you wanted us to talk about the, uh, <laughs> the uh, question that you had posed. And um, yeah, I guess what's that, that question or the, that statement, however it's received, it's, it's, it's kind of freaking awesome because then you don't have to uh, live up to the expectations that someone else has for you. If you realize, oh, they don't really know me because nobody knows me and I don't know me, then you just go like, okay, great. Well, then I don't have to behave the way they think I'm going to behave or the way I think I am going to behave. You know, uh, so it's, oftentimes we behave in a way because we don't want to disappoint people. We want to live up to their expectations of us. Um, 
So if you go like, well, you don't really know me, and if behaving in this way or you know this action isn't actually the most harmonious and helpful thing to do in the moment, then I can I can just be different, do something else, because I'm just a flow. I'm not a thing. I'm not that kind of person. That was something that I brought up with you recently in another mm-hmm. conversation, which is I was like thrown off when people say, "Well, I'm the type of person who does this," and I was like, "Oh, what?" I didn't, there's, there are types of people, you know, and um, just remembering how much uh, there was conflict within my family when I, there was a family member who um, was described by many as putting people in boxes. They had boxes for everyone, and that's the way they simplified so that they could know the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and how much conflict that person lived with, with all their relationships as a result. into an extreme level but yeah i think that it's just it's one of those statements once you really understand oh nobody knows me well then that's that's just fun (laughs) you know like what i think was brought up also earlier was that uh it's uh anything happen and all the possibilities are open there yeah thank you no one knows you as freaking awesome you said i second that That is very true. No one knows you. It is freaking awesome, but you know what? It comes with such a great responsibility. Because knowing, in a way, relieves us from responsibility. Because it's already known. Everybody knows. No one knows you. Okay, maybe I should pay attention. Maybe I should live this free, fresh, new. Because I've never been here. Nobody has ever been here. So, freaking awesome and great responsibility. This is a good way to end this uh, discussion. Did Jordan want to say something? Who? Jordan. Jordan, did you want to say something? Where's Jordan? I see him right here. I don't know if he wanted to say... I thought he made a move to say something. I'm not sure. No. Okay. You okay, Jordan? Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. I thought you wanted to say something. That's okay. Okay, so (laughs) we're going to wrap it up. But just one thing I want to... One line from Bodhidharma that can uh, seal that for us. Bodhidharma said, When we don't understand, that which is true becomes false. When we do understand, that which is false becomes true. Okay, so work with that for a while. Hold up, don't go anywhere. We finish with the four vows together.